0: Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Takecast. My name is Davis Maddock. You guys can find me on Twitter at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy Eric Bimefor from Rotogrinders.com, and we kind of just did a, you know, a, a full preview of how to draft best ball teams. You know, we over go through stacking and diversification, how to manage your portfolio, when to draft. You know, a lot of the optimal strategies, the differences between the um, self-contained. 12-man leagues and the big tournaments, you know, really everything you need to know to draft best ball teams this offseason. And I think this will be good evergreen content as well. Uh, there will be links to deposit to uh, all of the best ball sites in the description of this podcast. If you want to support the show, you can do that. You can leave a rating or review on iTunes. You can subscribe to patreon.com takecast for bonus episodes of the show. Uh, you can also sign up on Starstock.com. Use the promo code DavisMatic, get a free 10 bucks there. Now let's go ahead and get into the show. All right, everyone. Welcoming into the show for the very first time, my buddy Eric Bimefor from Rotorgrinders.com. Uh the, the goal today is we are gonna do uh, a best ball primer. I mean, maybe we'll get into like some picks and guys we like, you know, a little bit later, but I, I wanted it to be a little bit more evergreen. Just on, you know, there there's a difference between oh, you know, I'll throw a couple entries in in the best ball mania or whatever versus you know actually trying to build a portfolio throughout the course of the off season. And I know Eric has has max entered these tournaments. I know he's on Underdog, he's on DraftKings, um, and and that's what I like to do. You know, basically uh, w- what I do is I enter into I, I go to the gym in the morning. I enter into one on on DK, I enter into one on underdog, and I enter into one on, on drafters. And whichever one fills first, I draft that. I withdraw from the other two. And then, you know, sometimes I do one before bed, but I kind of figure that's a good way to get my exposure throughout all the platforms um, over the course of the summer. So, uh, look, Eric, I mean, first off, thank you very much for joining the show, man.
1: Yeah, man, thanks for thanks for having me. It's funny that I, it took me being a sick NFL degenerate grinding best balls in May in order to come on this show. So I just want you to know where that sits with me, that I had to be this total sick degenerate Um, And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing even either. No, dude, that's
0: what this show, that's what this show is all (laughs) about, man. It's all about, it's all about finding people who are grinding the niches everywhere. You know, we have, we have Pew on the show and he's grinding, you know, European Mm -hmm. championship DFS and we have pro poker players and we have, we have all these dudes who grind their they're small little edges. Cause that is, um, you know, I mean, that's just my been my thing in, in DFS and then, you know, trying to turn my money into more things in general is that, you know, the smaller the niche uh, the, the more likely it is that you'll actually have some advantage relative to the other people that you are competing against. And best ball certainly has changed from when I first got into fantasy football. And, you know, this is going to be big time boomer back in my day energy, but back in my day, the original best ball format, there was only one site that offered it. It was myfantasyleague.com. Uh, the first season they offered it, the, they were. it was only a $10 platform. There was not 50s. There were not 100s. It was just 10 bucks, and they were all self-contained 12-man leagues. You had to draft defenses. You had to draft, uh, I think maybe you even had to draft kickers. This is so long so. ago. Yeah, yeah, this is so long ago now, I don't even really remember um and then i i want to say that draft was the first Mm -hmm. company to offer a tournament now that might not be true the the nfc site that runs they they run the the best ball tens they bought that format for my fantasy league maybe they ran a tournament first but to my memory draft when jeremy levine started that company was the first one to launch uh, a full-on tournament yeah
1: and, and and that's really what hooked me in was draft. Like you said, I, I'm sh- there might've been something before, but on like a full scale with a really slick mobile app and just, you know, really easy user experience as well as legit big top prizes. Right. And I mean, it's even grown a ton right. since, since those, those early draft days, but like, I, it's really funny, this evolution, like I didn't, honestly, really take that. Like I was dabbling in like some MFL tens. I was even in the early draft days. Like I was, I thought maybe I was taking this serious, but honestly, I really wasn't. I was still just grinding DFS and everything else that I would normally do. And I bet if I looked back on my teams right now, I would just laugh at myself, you know, kind of like DFS, right? Like your early days when you were playing DFS. Uh, and still, sometimes I look at my teams right now and think they look like shit. But back then, I, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and I, and that's why I'm kind of passionate, really, really digging in to like these best ball streets is because like, I'm not even saying I'm an expert, but I don't think anybody has any idea what they're doing. We haven't figured out this game. It's still a new game as it relates to these big tournaments. Right. We could probably figure out like the little twelve team leagues or ten team leagues or even I, six yeah, man three teams. I mans. think
0: the the twelve team leagues are pretty much solved, right? It is it is um you know for the eighteen man rosters, you allocate five spots to quarterback and to tight end. So so whether that be two quarterbacks, three tight ends, three quarterbacks, two tight ends, and then six running backs and then the rest of the numbers allocated to wide receivers. Yep. And, and we pretty much know, and like that is the grinding those self-contained 12 man leagues. And this is what, again, we used to do back in my day. It was all just about putting in the volume and picking off ADPs, right? If a guy slides yep. around, you just take him, even if you don't like him, because if you're going to do a hundred of these 12 man leagues, like that's how you're going to end up getting there. And I, I am totally with you. It's a completely different game with, uh, you know, with these tournaments. And, and there are so many more interesting questions with the tournaments, like when do you draft and you know, when's yep. the optimal time and we and we will, we will get into, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into, to all of that. So I, I guess let's just start here from, from a very high level, the two formats, I think people will be playing the most are of course going to be the underdog ones, which are, uh, 12 man leagues inside of a, a much larger tournament. Uh, The way it breaks down is what you, you win your 12 man league, the playoffs begin in week 14. um, And then you advance. Uh, I think the field cuts down by 80% every week until the final. Um, You know, I, I am, I, I like that format and DraftKings format runs the same way, but it's with DraftKings scoring and there's two extra added roster spots. I actually like the two added roster spots a lot. I think it gives you more flexibility with your rosters. Um, I, love the, I love for the DraftKings scoring. Um, I think stacking is even more important on DK because you're going to be racking up those bonuses. So like your Derek Carr, Henry Ruggs spike week where Henry Ruggs has 111 yards and a touchdown, you know, that turns from, you know, on on uh, underdog scoring, that's like 17 and a half points. But on DK, it's like 25 points. And it, you know, right. it just it, like those things um, really end up mattering. I actually, you know what, this is where we should start the hyper-fragile thing that everyone is posting about <laughs> on Twitter. And if, and if you don't know what this is, the hyper-fragile roster construction, this was an idea that uh, Justin Herzig implemented in his drafts last year. Our friends over at Establish the Run, Mike Leone, these guys, were, were on to this pretty early. Herzig wins the underdog tournament last year with this hyper-fragile strategy. And really all that means is draft – basically it means drafting four running backs and drafting running backs early – because running backs are going to have the most fragile projections. They are most subject to injury. They are also, um, it's, it's the hardest position that you are going to be drafting later in your drafts. So, you know, your average 17th round running back selection is going to make it into your lineup zero times over 16 weeks. Whereas your average, you know, you're, you're Amon Ross St. Brown, you're Brian Edwards. You might get one or two spike weeks out of that guy over the course of 16 weeks. Um, So where do you, where do you stand on the, on the hyper-fragile strategy?
1: Well, I definitely believe in the extremes. And I think that's ultimately what this hyper-fragile is really, is really trying to do. I think, you know, it sounds super lame and super cheesy, right? But your, your team that you draft, it all starts with this lineup, this, this team, right? You've drafted this 18 man collection of players And there has to be some reason why you drafted them, right? You've mentioned like the 12 team leagues. It's like, okay, I drafted four running backs already, but so-and-so slipped to the 12th. I'm taking him because I just, that's just how this format works versus these huge tournaments, which are, it's a very different, it's a totally different ball game. And so I need to like craft this story, craft this plan for how am I getting, how am I winning a million dollars out of 200,000 people? You know, how, and how am I winning- And how am I winning basically four different tournaments, right? A really small 12 man tournament. And then how am I winning three more tournaments against other super teams, right? If I won my league, i probably have a pretty damn good team and everybody else does too. So I don't really have any sort of, you know, edge. And I don't really have this like game theory edge that we have in in DFS, right? Fade the shock, they... They fail, I I win. Yeah, there's
0: no there's no fading the chalk in best ball tournaments. Like it's not like, oh, I'm not, I'm just I'm not gonna take Christian McCaffrey at one because that's chalky.
1: (laughs) Right. That's just stupid. You're just donating money then at that point. And so you have to build teams in a like structure them in a way that you know a couple of these things go right. And that that gives you a leg up on your opponents, right? And so that's the whole premise of this hyper fragile. I have my, my own thoughts. I actually think the way like Herzig and, and Leone were originally implementing it is not optimal, um, which, you know, not trying to hate on anybody's, I think taking three or four super early running backs is actually pretty bad. Again, relative to these contests, maybe last year, you know, people were just frankly pretty bad at structuring their teams. Um, and it was a smaller field, right? It wasn't a millionaire maker. It was 200,000 to first place. It was drastically smaller, yeah,
0: a little smaller contest.
1: Right? And so now, if you're taking, let's say you take three running backs right off the bat, I'm not sure that that's actually fragile enough, right? Because you you have to think about it in terms of I'm building a team and I have two running back spots, only two. I only have to fill two. So if I took two right away, I get you have a flex, and and it's a little more nuanced than this. But in general, you have two spots that you have to fill. And so you took two running backs. You have to assume that you got those right, right? If you take Christian McCaffrey and Antonio Gibson, and you follow them up with a third running back. It's like, what are you doing? You're you're telling yourself that you just smashed running back already with those two guys. You really don't have to worry about it. So now you need to find other spots where you're going to gain points on the field, whether that's, you know, third-round tight end or, or yeah, I don't really draft Mahomes, but maybe it's Mahomes. Maybe it's, you know, know, Amari Cooper or CeeDee Lamb, whatever. But you have to start crafting this story, and it all depends upon each pick you got right. You know what I mean? And so that's like the fragile approach really is just saying I got anywhere from one to three things right. I know I got them right. And so how do I then construct the rest of my team to to allow myself to gain points on my opponents at all these different other spots? And I think that's really the big thing that, like, honestly, I probably wasn't doing this, maybe even not early in this particular draft season. But thinking through each draft where, um, you know, using like Bale's Bale's uh kind of really got me to think about this a lot more deeply is like understand the rules of the game that you're playing right, right. i think people people really want to post their screenshots to twitter of their team that has six strong running backs and it's this balanced team and they feel really good for week one about how it's going to look but it's stone dead to win one of these tournaments and that's because they're not playing within these rules of the game i only have to fill i have to fill one quarterback spot two running back spots a tight end you know and then he, thereafter and so every draft should be structured around how am I filling those those spots in a way that allows me to to make my way up to first place in this huge contest
0: yeah I so I think I think that is um that thought is the biggest difference between conventional fantasy football analysis that you're going to hear on you know you, you know your your regular ESPN fantasy football podcast you know whatever like mainstream fantasy football content um they're going to like i I think we have gotten better at this idea of like knowing we're gonna miss things in the draft, knowing players are going to get injured. You know, I mean, this is a huge credit to Matthew Barry. He is so right about this. Like fantasy football the way we normally play it, is a weekly game, which is why zero running back is so perfect for the main event for these other, you know, high-stakes fantasy football championships is because it's a weekly game. You have the ability to pick up your Boston Scots, your Darrell Williams's, uh, you know, your Ty Johnson's throughout the course of the season. In best ball, you don't, right? Your roster is locked, you draft, you, you set it, you forget it. Um, and I, and I think people do have a very hard time with this idea of Every pick I make, I'm making the assumption that that was the correct pick inside of yep. this draft, right? So when I take Josh Jacobs in the fourth round, um, which because I am doing some of these disgusting, hyper fragile teams, I am mm-hmm. doing even though we get to we get to main events and I'm like I'm not touching David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs correct. and Chris Carson. Like I'm not interested in those guys at all. In best ball, I am taking them because they're going to get me point, especially early in the season, they're just going to be grinding me out 13 point games. Whereas if I'm taking Daryl Henderson early in the season, Daryl Henderson's probably not grinding me out those points early in the season, even if I expect him to layer those in, uh, you know, throughout the course of, I guess, 17 weeks now. And yeah, I mean, I, I just do, I do think people have a hard time with the idea of, this is the correct pick. Cause like what you'll even see is, and and I bet you probably get these questions is like, Oh, should I handcuff? Should I take Tony Pollard with Ezekiel Elliott? Should I take Daryl Henderson with cam Akers? Should I take Kenyon Drake with Josh Jacobs? And it's like, it's so clearly uh, I, to me, it is so clearly minus EV to do that because you're using two roster spots for one position of points.
1: Exactly. I, I talked about that exact thing with Leone, like, and, and, I probably was asking myself that same question back when I was a noob and sure, you know, like right. a regular season long. And I didn't think like this, but now it is really so batshit crazy to think about the fact that we ever considered even in regular, you know, regular old 12 team season long leagues you, that you ever considered drafting. Like, like you said, why would you spend a ninth round pick on Tony Pollard when he spent a first round, first round pick on Ezekiel Elliott? Because what you just admitted is that you got your first round pick wrong. Right. Or that you expect him to get hurt at some point. Right. Which in turn means you got him wrong. And so or or you you admitted that you got your ninth round pick wrong. Right. Because Zeke is going to stay healthy the whole year. And now you just spent like it's one thing. It's still idiotic, but it's one thing to spend your 18th round pick on that right? Like, that is, so, that if, is a
0: little different, right? Your guy, yeah. your guy, Samaj Pirine, right? If you take yes, Joe Mixon exactly. in the second round, it is, it's a little, it is a little bit different because your your average 18th round pick is just not returning you any points. I would imagine in a vast majority of underdog drafts, your 18th round selection is not going to make your roster once.
1: Yeah. That's why I have to talk about Samaj P. Ryan and Darrington Evans and these, these scrubs, right? But, but that also speaks to the point is why would you draft Pirine, when you have Mixon, when you can just take one of these other guys that have the exact same probability of hitting, and but they actually give you access to a ceiling. That is, you have Joe Mixon and you have you know whoever's replacing Derrick Henry, or you have whoever's replacing Saquon, right? Devontae Booker's going there, or or you've talked about Ramondre Stevenson, right? Maybe Ramondre Stevenson's the RB one in New England. Taking shots on those guys allow you to get two RB ones as opposed to this is just it maybe securing you the RB run one. Right. But it's also never even that straight, straightforward. Like Tony Pollard is goes where he goes and Latavius goes where he goes and, and Henderson, et cetera, because we're pretty darn certain. Those guys are just going to kind of become the new workhorse in that backfield if something happens. But these late round guys, like, like I'm sitting here screaming to the mountaintops about these scrubs, like Samaj P. Ryan, but like, dude, I don't even know if he's going to make the team. so like that doesn't even take into account the risk of like what happens when when mixing goes down right he's still probably not going to be in every down back so it's a very like everything it's a very nuanced situation but the whole thing is like you said I think that's like my strongest belief about what the edge is in best ball right now and why I'm really heavily invested into it is because I think everybody drafts as if they're wrong Right. The handcuff RB, you know, people aren't really doing that as much anymore, but like they're drafting as if they're wrong. Like if you took Travis Kelsey in the first round, why in the hell would you ever spend a fourth round pick on Kyle Pitts? You know, like that, that, that that's well, you know, that's funny
0: you mentioned that because something I've been thinking about is like weird roster constructions. And not that you're worried about, not that you're worried about being duped. I I think worried about dupes is like, I mean, that's so galaxy brain, like it would be incredible. (laughs) Even I'm not that galaxy brain. Yeah. I I have been thinking about just weird roster constructions, like pairings of players that are going to be very uncommon. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, let's say you get to the final and you're the only roster that has. Travis Kelsey and Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Um, and, and the, the, I find myself, uh, doing, doing this too, is, um, you know, when you take one quarterback early, you're, I think the first thought would be, okay, I took Dak, I took Lamar, I took Kyler, Josh Allen, Herbert, whoever. So my next quarterback, I, you know, I'm going Derek Carr, Taysom, you know, one of these, cause I just, cause again, you're saying I want this pick to be correct. I mean because if you're if you're giving up the value of taking the fifth round wide receiver or whoever, you're saying that quarterback selection is right. But I I wonder if, and this is kind of this is a tangent, but whatever. Um, I wonder I wonder if you are giving up a little bit of ceiling that way because Derek Carr probably does not have one 30 point game in him all year long. Like I just I just don't know if he'll get there. So I have been doing Dak and Trey Lance. Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence uh, you know, Justin Herbert and Jalen hurts or whatever. And I, I, you know, again, it's just like, there are so many different ways to do this. Best ball is so far from a solved game. Quarterback is different than all the other positions because if Dak gets 35 and Jalen hurts gets 31, you can't, those 31 points are not being used at all. They're, they're just, they're perishing on your bench. Um, So how are you thinking about, you know, a high upside quarterback versus the, the high floor quarterbacks, you know, the, the cars and the whatnot.
1: It's so funny that you brought this up because they're we kind of taught and there was a, a thread that ended up talking about this, almost this exact subject yesterday on Twitter. And I, I don't think, I'm not saying that my mind changed, but I did start to think a little bit differently about the the situation. And I think it, it revolves around the fact that again, going back to, you have to understand like this game that you're playing. And part of understanding that is like understanding the player pool and like the yeah. ranges of outcomes on this player pool. So people are probably going to be sick of me talking about Trey Lance but you, you bring him up and i think he's the perfect example he's like the perfect summation of this quarterback pool like there's all these rookies right and maybe it's just because we're uh, attracted to the unknown but i do believe like they all have like really serious upside like upside I, I, yeah I, I truly believe that Trey Lance has like literally the qb1 in fantasy upside like what percent you know what probability is that very yeah, very I well, mean, but i i'm with you on that range,
0: yeah for sure
1: so, so so, he's just the epitome of that. Like he's my highest drafted player because, because of that. But I am also doing what you said, taking Dak Prescott and then taking Trey Lance, Justin Fields. I kind of like Carson Wentz. I think he has a, a good bit of upside. Even like Zach Wilson, I think he has more upside than people give him credit for. Versus where I think last year, and I think this is where I made some mistakes, is last year, those guys you were taking there was like – Teddy Bridgewater and big Ben yeah you know and guys like that and like I know big Ben ended up having an okay season from throwing 70 times a week but still like the upside is just just does not exist in those guys the upside in these this tier of quarterbacks now that is in that range right Ryan Tannehill has jumped up a lot but Ryan Tannehill you know especially now with Julio in town like has really serious upside and so there's a co- collection of those guys to where I do want to be I do want to be cognizant of that upside that exists and not just like, okay, Dak's going to score every single week. I can still capture upside in that second guy to where now like, okay, even when Dak has his 25 point week, I have another guy that can go drop 40 that week. And I'm always, I'm literally always gaining. Always pulling QB one games. Exactly, exactly, because that's that that's the like talking about the, again the the rules and how they you're filling these spots. Not only are you filling spots, I think people have gotten smarter about that. Like I have to, okay, I need running backs. So you hear the term "usable weeks" all the time, right? That's right. the new thing, right? I need to find usable weeks. So draft James White, and it's like, yes and no. I do need to get get to the playoffs, and I do need enough. "Quote unquote usable weeks" to get there, but you also need to gain points on your opponents, right? Just posting a, a twelve point week every week from your RB two doesn't necessarily mean anything. Or your are your your wide receiver three is averaging ten points a week because you got Adam Humphreys on the end of the bench catching six for forty, right? Like that, but that doesn't win you anything. We're trying to win, and but and to do that, you have to gain points on the field. So kind of going back to your Trey Lance thing, like I I do. I mean, I bet my most owned pairing is probably Dak and Trey Lance.
0: Yeah. And I, I think I'm probably close to that as well. Cause it's, um it's a little bit harder to do on underdog. Cause the underdog drafts are very sharp. Like the, yep. the people right drafting in June on underdog and, and, um, they'll get a little bit softer in in August and September as we get you know a little bit closer to kickoff and more people are are fully turned on. But the 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 DK drafts, it's pretty easy to do. Dak, you can even sometimes get Dak in the sixth round, um, you mm-hmm. know, depending on the draft. And Lance is like, I think his ADP is like one twenty. It's obviously it's obviously rising a little bit, but he is um, he's pretty available there. Uh, so okay, let's let's zoom out a little bit in terms of like portfolio decisions. How much are you worried about, like, you know, I really don't want 55% of whatever running back, you know, Joe Mixon, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, whoever, because mm-hmm. running back, most fragile position, most injury-prone position, um, you know, like our – and, and how, how close are you tracking that stuff?
1: That's such a good question because I, I think I worry well, – I, I know that I worry about it less than maybe other people do. But I think it's also because just the way that I draft, it leads itself to less concern over that. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to take small, uh, like probably a few small stands like per draft season. So my favorite one, and I think even you and I have talked about it, is two years ago on draft was the last year Jameis was in Tampa Bay. Yeah. And he was, he's, he's kind of like my Trey Lance of, of this season. Jameis was going in like the 12th round. And I, I legitimately, like, if I were to, I don't really do, like, rankings and stuff like that. But if I were to do, like, rankings, he was, like, a top five quarterback for me. You know, and I was drafting Godwin, I was drafting all his teammates. And I just, the, the upside was was what I perceived, you know, I perceived it to be absolutely insane. So, I pretty much took Jameis. Like, I had, like, 60% Jameis. And so, like, I am willing to, I, I don't think I'll have anybody, not even Trey Lance, I won't have to that to that extent. But I'm willing to get up way way more, you know, be more fragile also in my player pool, I think, than most people are. But it's important to again like think about your drafts as as like lineups, not individual draft decisions. And so it leads me to like, okay, in the third round, depending on what I've done in the first two rounds, it like almost always leads me to a different, a different player. You know, like so I'm not taking like I I am taking a lot of the Cowboys wide receivers there, but I'm I'm taking both of them. I'm taking C D or or mar, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, or or like maybe I went zero RB. Well, now now in the third round, you know, it might be a different discussion, right? Maybe CEH falls to the early third. Well, now I'm taking him instead of so. Just letting again going back to the the same damn thing I say all the time. It's like I drafted correctly. You know, I assume I drafted correctly in those first two rounds. What's that next pick mean? What's that fourth round pick mean? So it just naturally kind of diversifies me by. Um, just kind of going with the flow of each draft and also like looking at what the, the draft that you're in is doing, right. If the entire first round was running backs, right. Like I don't want to then continue to take running backs just like everybody else is. Right. So then it's going to lead me to wide receiver tight end or quarterback or whatever, because I'm going to, you know, I don't want to run into the exact same build as everybody except the worst one. And then be taking these, you know, same crappy wide receivers at the end of the draft.
0: That's where you really have to be careful. Um, with the 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 round wide receivers. Um, oh, yeah. this happened uh, this happened to all of us over at sports grid in twenty nineteen. This is when uh, still working with Leonie and Drew before established the run and we were all collaboratively working on these projections, you know, talking about drafts and stuff. And if people remember that year the my, that was uh, the Devontae Parker breakout year and we're sitting here looking at these dolphins projections like somebody has to catch the ball like <laughs> like this team this team has ryan fitzpatrick um like literally someone has to catch the ball and again if people remember they had uh, Devonte parker they had preston williams they had alan hearns and they had kenny stills now you're not gonna you're not gonna see that Kenny Stills was on the roster when you go look at the 2019 Miami Dolphins because he didn't end up playing for the Miami Dolphins in 2019. But we had Kenny Stills projected early in the offseason, right? May, June, July. We had Kenny Stills projected to lead the Miami Dolphins in target share because this was Preston Williams undrafted free agent, Alan Hearns career backup, Albert Wilson. I think there was a little bit of Albert Wilson hype that year, if I remember correctly, but we kind oh, yeah, of, all, I drafted
1: Albert Wilson that year. I remember well, what,
0: what happened is we kind of all ended up getting very overweight on Kenny stills. Cause our mm-hmm. numbers were like, you just got to smash him. You just have to smash Kenny stills here. We have him as the best value. And so, you know, we're sitting here with these draft portfolios of 50% Kenny stills which had it been Devonte parker would have worked out right Devonte parker yep. that season was going in that same range he had 72 receptions 1200 yards nine touchdowns what i mean you know would have been a, a million dollar decision at that point but that was a good lesson for me to learn that the market is very rarely going to be that wrong on a situation right. um so if you are that confident maybe, maybe take them on 30% of your teams, right? Maybe, maybe Mm -hmm. take someone you have projected. Uh, So like an example for that, for me this year that I've already like, literally that I have already taken an L on was I had Josh Reynolds projected for something like, you know, like 160 PPR points or whatever because of the Julio Jones trade. So every time I'm sitting there in the 16th round, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to take Josh Reynolds every once in a while in the 18th round, I'm going to take Des Fitzpatrick. They trade for Julio Jones. Uh, not that those teams are dead, with your 15th round wide receiver being the third yeah. wide receiver for the Titans, but that's just an example of a roster spot being way worse than you think. So it's it's kind of balancing the idea of I want to I want to make every selection appropriately versus. I don't want to be overweight on these guys who have these very fragile projections, and and you know of course again it always works out. Cole Beasley, a great example of this from last season uh, in twenty twenty. Cole Beasley was one of these late round guys who just I, I think he finished wide receiver twenty three in PPR, yep. had this great season, uh, you know, but had you know had you been drafting John Brown of the same situation, you would have gotten you would have gotten burned because John Brown was hurt, he was bad all year, um, and so it's it, it is a very fine balance but basically long story short do not be overconfident in 14th round wide receivers because you're going to end up with guys giving you zeros every week
1: a hundred percent and so one way that um, I think I probably disagree with a lot of the the market and that keeps this in check at least for me is that it's a little bit of what you said like the market is just never really going to be, you know, there's probably a couple of guys that they're going to be just way, way off on, but you know, that's out of 200 and something players, right? The market is just never going to be so far off. And even if it was, there's not a lot of value in you reaching on players too far yeah. away from what the market values them at, right? Like you would, you would just never, you would never buy a stock for 20% more than what the market is, 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 you know saying it's valued at because why wouldn't you just pay you know maybe you pay a, a dollar right or, or I'm I'm buying a house the market says it's this you just bought a house I bought a house last year the market says it's this maybe I got to go a little bit more to secure it but I'm not going 50% higher 25 30% percent higher than what the market says that it's valued at and so people will often say actually read somebody I'm not calling out any names but I read somebody saying like in terms of stacking like it's okay. Reach on your guy to secure your stack. Right. Because you stacking is so important. You need to reach on your guy. And like, I, I think the opposite, I think you should be. No, I'm, I'm, expect- I'm
0: with, I'm with this thought when you take the quarterback early. Right. So I'm, yep. I'm, I'm with this thought. If you took Josh Allen early and you're on the clock and you know, maybe the guy is 20 is 20 picks away. I'm mm-hmm. cool with that. I'm also cool with it when you have two of the pass catchers. So, like, let's say you took uh, T and Jamar Chase at the five-six turn. If you're sitting there at the the eight-nine turn, I think you got to take Burrow. I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you chance it. Um, mm-hmm. So, so maybe that's something we disagree on a little bit. But again, again, it's all relative. Don't don't jump guys by four rounds or whatever. Right. And it's all dependent on the team you're drafting. But I I I am willing to close the loop on the stack around earlier
1: myself when i'm drafting a lot and i am willing to risk losing the stack in part because you said it at the top i'm building a portfolio of teams and like at the end of the day i'm fully aware out of these 150 teams or like 300 or it, when i move to other when i move to other right i'll move to ffpc after i get done with the DraftKings and whatever i'm gonna have hundreds or thousands of of best ball teams and i know not everybody's like that so they're people that are like you said they're playing five they're listening to me like shut up but i'm willing to risk losing out on that on that stack in order to make that team as valuable and as you can as as possible yeah as i as i absolutely can it also to your point about uniqueness the later you get a guy past his adp the the more likely the more unique that team that team will be the earlier you take him not only will it be less unique you're almost assuredly going to be facing off against if you end up right about that stack right you're almost assuredly going to be facing off against teams that are at 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 worst they're just as good as yours and so now you're coin flipping as opposed to like the further you can push that guy down the draft board um the more value you get out of out of that pick and the other thing about stacking is like i totally agree and i'm definitely i'm definitely stacking and i'm not saying like you have to pick every single guy past his adp of course not but the people that are like, Oh, this guy's a 10th round player and you have his two wide receivers. So you, but be- you know, you better pick him in the eighth. You know what I mean? Like you, or you better pick him, you know, 15 picks ab- above ADP. I think, I think that's kind of cutting off your nose to, to spite your face. And the other thing about stacking that I've grown to kind of think m- more about is like, you don't have to force any stacks. There's always stacks available, literally always like Unless That's true. You, like even Mahomes, yeah. right? Even yeah, if you take, take Mahomes, take Byron Pringle, right? It doesn't feel good, but who gives a shit? The point isn't the point isn't to have the best stack of every single offense because, like, I mean, look at Herzig last year. He didn't have a Denver stack, but KJ Hamler got him to the finals. He caught two balls, and they were two long touchdowns, right? Is that fluky? Yes, of course. But like, the point is that it's not every single week that it has to be Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs as the stack. That's hitting for you. Right. Or Dak and Amari. It could be Gallup. Right. It could be Blake Jarwin. You know, like you said, it, it could be Byron Pringle or there's cheaper stacks. Right. I I talked about the Colts because I'm pretty bullish on the, on the Colts offense this year. It's like Wentz is free. Paris Campbell is free. Michael Pittman is cheap. I don't really, you know, Mo Alley Cox is the tight end. I like, but I mean, maybe you're a sicko and you like Jack Doyle, they're all free. Right. So you, so you have the Bengal stack without the quarterback. So what? That's fine. Now, you know, secure another stack later, later in, you know, the Jets, totally free. You want Zach Wilson and yeah, Elijah Yeah, I mean the the
0: the Jets, the uh the Zach Wilson, Denzel Mims, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Jameson Crowder, Chris Herndon, whoever you like, that is that is a, a backdoor stack that I've okay. been building in. Um, cause it, it and and that is a very helpful thing if you're in the middle of your draft and you're you're you know, you you take CD and someone takes Dak before you, you take Jamar Chase, someone takes Burrow ahead of you. You know, I I think that having those backdoor stacks in my it it might even just be like a a a mental health thing where it's like, well, at least at least <laughs> at least this entry will not be unstacked if I can take Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown. Like at least I will <laughs> I will feel like I have, you know, a little bit of that of that upside yep. in there.
1: Um and even but, even I mean you can get as crazy. That's what I, I don't think people take into what you just said account enough. Like having those backdoor stacks just like ready at all times, it also might even I, you know, I haven't like run any numbers. Who's to say it doesn't provide you more upside because now you have a cowboy stack. I know you don't have deck, right? In a dream world, we have the quarterback, but we also know that quarterback points are the most replaceable right because that, that is so big yes this is the biggest can't point distance themselves yeah not just even when Dak scores 45 fantasy points there's cheaper quarterbacks scoring thir- 25 or 30 and i know that ideally we want those we want those raw points but most of the time the quarterbacks are all sitting between 15 and 25 right especially yes. on underdog without without the bonuses yeah on, so uh, like, that is
0: true so on dk it comes into play a little bit more with a 300 yard bonus and all that stuff um but stacking teammates without the quarterback, this is, I, I think this is like one of the biggest Galbrain unlocks I've found because it's very hard to get Lamar and Mark Andrews because they go right next to each other. So you only ever get them really if you're picking on the turn. So you you scoop them at the, the five-six turn or the four-five turn. Um, but taking Mark Andrews and Hollywood Brown together without Lamar, like that's just betting on like Lamar figuring it out in general. And obviously, you know, Mm -hmm. you wish you had the Lamar rushing points, but that is to me, that is the biggest thing that has changed my strategy from last season to this season is stacking teammates together and not in like, you know, not like taking the quarterback if he's there, but allowing the stacking of teammates without the quarterback, because exactly what you're saying, the quarterback points are just so much flatter and you can only start one of them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You only had to fill the one quarterback spot and like, there's going to be 15 dudes that score 20 points or whatever in, in any given given week. Yeah. Maybe one jumps up, you know, one or two extend themselves a little bit, but even then it's not so many raw points, right? When Christian McCaffrey has a ceiling, he's gaining so many points on, on those other running backs. When, and then, you know, when we really think about PPR scoring from wide receivers, right. When, when, when Tyreek Hill, catches three touchdowns in the first quarter against, against the bucks. Like you're gaining like 40 points on your opponents from one wider receiver spot. And you got three plus a flex to, to fill. And so just thinking about those little, little nuances, I think are super important. Like you can go all the way down to like talking about these backdoor stacks. Like that's why it's so valuable, valuable to like extract so much ADP early. Because it's like the ADP from 16th through the 18th round or whatever, those like it really doesn't matter. Like it's because sometimes there's guys that are gone by the 15th and the next draft, they're there in the 18th. Like that, there's just this grouping of guys in those late rounds that don't really matter. You can dig as deep as like Jameis and Marquez Callaway, right? Like there's like there's like Mac Jones and pick your favorite crappy, you know, Jacoby Myers. Pick your favorite Patriots guy. There's just like so many ways you can go about building out these teams that still give you the benefits of stacking, still give you, you know, ADP value and give you all the upside across these, you know, whatever offenses or players you're betting on, on that team.
0: Yeah. So I, I think those are, I think those are some of the, you know, kind of, kind of most important points. I, I do still think that, um, you know, at the end of the day, like stacking is you are, you're going to want to stack, if you get Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes is there in the third round, like, you know, you, you should, you should probably take him. Um, I actually <laughs> saw this is, this is un- incredible. The guest from last week, Alex Gladstein, who we had on to do the Bitcoin episode. He is a fantasy football grinder too. He sent me a DM in the best ball mania. He somehow, I have no idea who he was drafting with. He was able to get, Travis Kelsey in the first round Tyreek Hill in the second round and Patrick Mahomes in the third round. And, and he messaged me and he was like, I got to be the only one who has this. And he really might be like, I, I, yep. I don't even know how many entries there are in the best ball mania. I'm, I'm sure there is a shit ton. Like I bet that unique combination happens 10 times max probably um, yep. which is uh, ve- I mean, something very like to be, to be thinking about that. If you, if you luck into these spots um, so the approach that I'm taking right now is I am because I, I plan on doing so many drafts this off season. Like I, I would like to get, you know, I'd like to get, I don't know, 2000 or $3,000 down on, on best ball drafts. And maybe that, you know, I'm going to disperse those out through the different platforms. So maybe I don't end up max entered in anything, but I just end, yeah. uh, end up in a bunch. I am uh, Normally I upload my own CSV to underdog to have my own rankings in there and everything. And I did that last season and I've never had a non-profitable best ball season. Cause I, I think if you're just not brain dead and you have good rankings and you draft a lot, I think it's hard to lose because so many people play the game suboptimally. And I don't, I don't, I know that sounds like a brag. I don't, I don't really mean it as a brag. Cause a lot of what I do is very boring. It's setting it, At looking at the flex tab. And if a guy is around off of where he's supposed to be drafted, even if I don't like him, I'm kind of just taking him on those teams. So this morning I'm at the gym, I'm doing my thing. I get in my, I get in my DK draft. I'm picking at pick 11. Saquon Barkley gets there and like, like, it's like, okay, that's a jam. And then I'm sitting there in round, I think it was round seven, Chase Edmonds falls around past ADP and I'm just taking him. And like those sorts of small decisions over 100 drafts, 200 drafts, 300 drafts or 10 drafts are going to end up being like, those are the plus EV decisions that you're making because you are reacting to other people doing the reaching basically.
1: Exactly. And that's, and that's the other thing people are like, Oh, who's your favorite sixth round pick? It's like, well, who, well, first of all, who's available? Like you said, did somebody fall, right? Is Lamar there in the sixth round? Like I probably like Lamar in the sixth round in this particular draft, or are all my opponents doing something like have they have they totally taken all the early running backs which is typically actually what happens so the strategy has become relatively straightforward because every goddamn person in every draft is taking two running backs you know in the first two or three two I'm or three doing rounds. it
0: I'm doing it yeah. Like because because <laughs> I'm looking at I'm looking at the round three and four options and saying so so back in May you could get Clyde over to in the third round so I was like okay yeah. I can take AJ Brown, but I'm gonna end up being very underweight AJ Brown Justin Jefferson, DeAndre Hopkins. I'm going to end up. And it's not that I don't like those guys. It's just that Mm. I really don't like Chris Carson and David Montgomery and Josh Jacobs and James Robinson (laughs) and shit like that. So I, I just, you know, I I'm going to end up with a bunch of cam Akers and Joe Mixon and guys like that. I mean, I don't love Joe Mixon. He he's like fine or whatever, but I maybe, and maybe that's even a case of like micro diversification that I need to be more aware of. Cause I don't want to be sitting there week 10, AJ Brown has 14 touchdowns through 10 weeks. (laughs) And I'm like, well, shit, I just don't have any of this guy. who's like breaking fantasy football.
1: Yeah. Or Justin Jefferson somehow gets better. Right. And he's the wide receiver and he's the wide receiver one, the same thing, but That's to your point that, that diversification has been like created for me almost. And it's a little bit of my personal strategy is like (laughs) to use the, the, the phrase that everybody loves modified zero RB, right? I'm calling it hero RB. So first of all, we're, we're knocking that out right now from moving forward. It is hero RB. I like that better than modified zero RB. So I like that better too. Yeah. You using, using what you were just talking about, right. I, I am like, I joke, you know, and I troll a lot about like all uh, the, the super heavy running back early people. I mean, I am too, but it's because of everything, all the like different strategies that we've talked about here. I, I think getting a running back early allows you to be flexible, whether it's the first round or the second round, generally in one of those two rounds, I'm not always, but generally I'm taking a running back sometimes maybe in the, it it falls to the third. I get lucky. Right. Uh, And somebody falls in the third Antonio Gibson is my guy this year. Like anytime he falls, it's like auto click. So, but keeping this flexibility in every single, in every single draft, you kind of need one of those, you know, workhorse running backs early in order to have that flexibility. But then I have found myself way more often going this, this hero RB route and just hammering wide receivers all the way through those, you know, one through six. And then a lot of the times I am mixing in like a tight end or a quarterback, it just varies, but like, I'm getting all of those guys. I am, I will say to your point, I am not getting David Montgomery and, and, and some of those guys, you know, in those ranges very much, but it's because I feel more comfortable betting against them, you know, in my portfolio than I do betting against all those receivers in that range. Right. Like and there are so, so, so many from A.J. Brown and Justin Jefferson to the Dallas guys, to the Rams guys, to the Seahawks guys, to Thielen, you know, Jefferson's teammate, there's there's Thielen, there's the Bucs. There's like, it's nothing but Pro Bowl wide receivers from rounds three through five. And so yes. I'm, there's just like this natural diversification process with this kind of hero RB approach that like, not all, well. you're, you're mixing in tight ends, right? I'm getting some Kittle and Waller. I'm taking, I'm actually trying to get as much Kelsey as I can, but like, I'm still taking Waller and Kittle a little bit of pits, you know, and then I'm getting to some of these elite quarterbacks, but that range is just so loaded at wide receiver. It's just kind of like, who's the best value in that particular draft. And then that in turn leads you to like maybe some different stacks, right? Maybe Cooper cup falls in this particular draft that you're in. He's not your favorite guy, but he's the one who, who falls. And then then that sets
0: you up to take Stafford. And so you're getting kind of some nap, like that is the, that's the natural diversification of like, Oh, Chris Godwin is randomly available in the fifth round. So this is going to be a Tom Brady team or Jamar chase is there in the seventh round. So this becomes, this becomes a Joe Burrow team. And that's another good macro point is like, A lot of the times you want your stack to correlate to your most expensive pass catcher, you know, whether that be AJ Brown, whether it be Justin Jefferson, C.D. Lamb. So like if you take C.D. Lamb, that sets you on alert for Dak in the fifth, which is like, you know, it's become uh, automatic at this point. But or or if you take if you take Waller, then you're setting up like, okay, I'm going to take my I've earmarked my 16th round pick for for Derek Carr, or, or if I take Kittle, my 10th round pick is going to be Trey Lance. And that, that does set you up for some good natural diversification.
1: The, the other thing it does is those late round picks. It naturally creates diversification in those late round picks. So like you said, I get the Cowboys are such a bad example because Gallup is so free and I can't. Yeah. He's like, right he's like the, he's like the best guy on
0: the board right now. Like if I, yeah, did, I if I had to best, pick
1: yeah. one pick, I think it would be Gallup. I think so. I think so too. Gallup, and and then maybe late rounds would probably be like Rondale Moore. He's like the baby. He's like the the rookie baby version of of Michael Gallup to me. Like I don't really understand why he's going where he's going. But anyway, it sets up this natural diversification at the end of drafts because, like you said, let's say you take this alpha wide receiver. Let's say, God. Let's use let's use God then. the the alpha of all alphas, right? The God. He falls. Oh to yeah. The fifth. And I'm not even like honestly like I didn't draft a single Bucks player last year. And I'm not really that. Yeah, I, I didn't I didn't
0: really either. Yeah.
1: I took really I took that, I, Godwin last Rojo. year,
0: even yeah.
1: Rojo, I guess. Rojo Rojo. But that's only because Corrine never shuts up about him. Like if, if Corrine didn't talk about him, I probably would have never drafted Rojo. But I felt obligated. I'm like, if these guys are gonna have fun or be miserable, both either end of the spectrum, these guys are all gonna be like miserable on Twitter. I wanna like be able to tag into the conversation. Yeah. You know? So anyway, you draft Godwin. Like you said, it starts to set up your your buccaneer stack so again like you know you don't like go crazy reaching for brady but then a guy who i tweeted about yesterday who i'm probably going to start taking because i'm a glutton for punishment like as a last round tight end it sets up your like backdoor second tight end right especially if you got an elite one like i'll just take oj howard like oj howard is literally going undrafted and i understand why i'm not like sitting here slamming the table for for oj howard but it It's the perfect point about creating this natural. I'm never taking OJ Howard if I don't have bucks, you know. Well, maybe I will now, but I'm never really taking that guy, right? Or like, there's no reason to go get Dwayne Eskridge unless you drafted Russ Russell Wilson, right? right? Because Russ unlocks eskridge's ceiling
0: that's another great point is correlating your late round picks to your stack that way you're not getting overloaded on one guy um yeah yes. so you know you take you take lamar jackson you're picking off sammy watkins you know if yep. you uh yeah i mean if you take i guess i guess some of the some of the quarterbacks don't even have good late round options but like i mean the the late round guys who i'm gonna end up being gluttonously punished on it's gonna be the Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle, Cornell Powell, Triumvirate. I, I take one of those guys kind of in like every draft at the end because I feel like it's so certain one of them is going to put up like a pretty usable fantasy yep. season. Um, but yeah, I mean, correlating correlating your late round picks, like filling out your stacks that way, a little bit easier in the, the DK and the drafters ones where it's 20 rounds. So you can like literally take guys like Auden Tate or whatever who might not even, you know, make the team and you just have a little bit more leeway that way.
1: But I really do think, you know, you talked about the diversification thing, like with Kenny still, it's like, I have my favorite guys back there. Like I'm drafting way too much Deshaun Jackson. Um, Yeah. He's he's an, he's an obvious one. I think he's, 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 so free and it's not, it's not even like, I'm like sure he's going to be in three wide receiver sets. It's just like, if he is, he's like a 10th round pick, not an 18th round pick. So I but like, that's the thing is like, if I, you know, if I, don't kind of have something set up there. Right. Maybe I, like Trey Lance doesn't have a late round guy that you can, that you can. Yeah, that with. does
0: suck. That does suck. There's not, and there's not really a guy I feel comfortable taking in Jacksonville either. Uh, right. Cause Lawrence is a guy I take a lot. Um, yeah. I, I, I do like those court, you know, Dallas doesn't really have a fourth wide receiver nope. you want to take, but you have Jarwin, Jarwin. And you have Schultz um, mm-hmm. who you can take stabs on Um the Chargers, I mean, I guess you could be like throwing darts at Josh Palmer or Jalen Guyton, but Herbert doesn't have a great one. I guess Josh Allen has it with Emmanuel Sanders. You know, he goes pretty late. I don't, I don't even, I mean, I'm not that high. I actually have, yeah, I don't think I've taken Josh Allen yet. Nope. Because um, this is, uh, and this is, an, this is a spot maybe I should try and clean up but because I don't take digs very often either because it feels like I'm always on the clock and it's like digs or acres and I'm like well shit I'm just going to take cam acres because I think he's so locked in um yeah. and then if you don't have digs you're like well do I really want Josh Allen or do I want one of these <laughs> sick wide receivers and then the I guess the the backdoor options for Josh Allen would be Gabriel Davis who's like 12th round or whatever
1: yeah Manny it would be it would be betting on yeah those ancillary guys and Technically, I guess you could try the the Dawson Knox thing. That's a little that's a little frightening, but it's not it's not crazy. But that just to show you like, okay, I drafted Travis Kelsey, right? And let's say we'll just throw out a bullshit scenario. I drafted Kelsey, Diggs, and Josh Allen. You know, I start my draft with that. Well, now I never want to have another like I really don't want to spend that capital on another tight end in theory, because I have Travis, I'm using Travis Kelsey's score every week. Right, So it's like you get to the very end and now you're like, well, I can just take a throw a dart at Dawson Knox as my second yeah. tight end because he pairs, you know, he pairs with, with Josh Allen. It's just those little things kind of like you talked about planning for backdoor stacks, planning for like, okay, I know. But then, cause that in turn is like, okay, now what am I doing at running back like and wide receiver? And I think that's my favorite thing about, especially builds like that, but just thinking through the strategy of a draft in general, it's like, all right, I got Travis Kelsey right. I got tight end right. Don't got to think about tight end the rest of the way. I got Josh Allen, so I got quarterback right. I don't have to think about anything else for the for the rest of the way. Now it creates this like I'm just picking off all these awesome guys at running back and wide receiver the rest of the way, right? Like, up oh, who? Which guy fell to the fourth in that loaded wide receiver group, right? Or right. God, you know, maybe even it, maybe you like Miles Sanders or whatever who's now falling falling to the fourth. That kind of Josh Jacobs. Maybe you do still want to kind of get that anchor running back, whatever, but it just creates this flexibility that I just don't think people, people aren't thinking that way. Um, and, and maybe some, maybe some more people are going to start doing it as best ball gets, you know, a little bit more prevalent, but I think they to your point, like as long as you're like not brain dead, I think there's a pretty, a pretty big edge and it's, it's actually such a simple edge, right? An edge in a lot of these gambling spaces is like, quite hard, but like DFS has gotten pretty tough, right? It's there's the edges are not massive in DFS because Joe Schmo off the street can figure out who the best plays are every week, but in best ball, figuring out, especially in like a fast draft, all these people have 30 seconds to make optimal decisions and right. they're not, you know, and it's not ingrained in our brain, how that should work. So um, there are pretty big, pretty, pretty big edges right now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you know, there, the, there is completely value in, Getting reps, right? Like just oh, like yeah. once you once and, and I mean, and it, it translates year over year too, right? Like if you did a bunch last year, it's a little bit more intuitive this year, but even getting used to the ADP as it goes now, like if you've done, if you've done 20 drafts thus far, like it's just, a, it's a little bit easier, you know, like, okay, this guy is unlikely to fall. This guy is likely to fall. Um, I know I can get this guy here. Like it's just, it just becomes a little bit more natural, um, which is why I think some people prefer the slow drafts. I, 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 I do not like the slow drafts I mean, like I'll do them, but I, I prefer to be like locked in to a draft when I'm, when I'm there doing it. Yeah. It's, and, and that's also like a, a life optimization habit stacking thing is I'm like, if I'm going to be doing a best ball draft, like I, I'm like, I get to exercise. Like that's my reward. It's like, if I'm in exercise, I get to do a best ball draft, which is like, yeah. that's another thing we talk about on the show all the time. These, these life optimization things, but that's big for me, like going on a walk and doing them or
1: whatever. Here's another, here's another, I assume you're getting up pretty early and, and going to the gym and stuff. There is. Oh yeah. It's terrible. I I think... I've become
0: one of those fucking losers, man. <laughs> Six o'clock in the morning at the gym. I hate myself. Like someone I would have just mocked mercilessly when I was in college
1: there's no, I feel like I'm not trying to say like, you know, having dogs and stuff is, is difficult or anywhere near like uh, what parents have to deal with. But since, since these dogs have gotten older, I can't sleep past like six or whatever. This, these little shits are like standing, like staring me in the eyes next to the bed, like 6am. Like, all right, are you ready to, are you ready to get up? And I'm like, no, dude, I'm not. So anyway, now I'm naturally becoming some morning person. And I really do believe you want to talk about grinding small edges there, I, I don't know if it's people like register and forget in the morning or like, maybe it didn't fill overnight. Yes. And they registered. No, no. And You're, you, I, I have
0: completely noticed this. You will get a minimum one auto drafter. Yep. If you, if you register it early in the morning, at least one, if not, if not multiples, like it's, yep. it's yeah, that that's a real thing.
1: And then like the auto draft stuff is like, that's like the biggest edge that you can get because there's no rules built in to the auto draft, right? Like you know uh an an option they can take four
0: quarterbacks if they don't have their settings set up
1: i literally did a draft with dan bach the other day he registered for a draft because he was about to go hop on a flight i don't know why he thought that was a good idea i've done that i've
0: I've done that yeah
1: (laughs) so the of course the flight wi-fi is not working very well so he ends up in auto draft and he had like five quarterbacks like seven running backs and like three wide receivers or whatever on his team and it's like okay, you know, you, now you only got to beat 10 opponents, right? And like, that doesn't sound like that significant, but like, those are massive, massive, massive edges. It's like playing a DFS head-to-head and the guy doesn't put a team in, you know? It's like, it's free, it's, it's free EV. And I think there's so much of that, right? That's just like one kind of maybe silly example, but there's so much of that in best ball. Like, I think it's almost like, I'm sure you remember like the old DFS days, right? Like people didn't even know who the best plays are. People didn't know, people know how to stack and stuff in, in best ball, but like people didn't know about stacking in baseball, how many years ago in DFS, like we're kind of in that age of best ball. And we have the combination of like, you actually have upside in these contests, right? It's not NFL tens where it's like, Oh, I can turn 10 bucks into a hundred bucks. Cool. Like it's no, I can turn 20 bucks into a million dollars. So like we've kind of met this equilibrium where the edge is about at as high as it's ever going to be, but the payoff is also like extremely high.
0: Yeah, no, 100 100%. 100%. Um, I, I, you know, I think that is like kind of most of it. I mean, I, oh, the timing of the drafts. This is the last thing. So I, I have always been big on the early drafts because we get to August and September, all the trendy running back sleepers, like you think running backs go early now, it's gonna get it's gonna get sick. Like Tony Pollard gets pushed up. You know, this year's version of Justice Hill is gonna get way pushed up. Like just guys, guys you like who you can kind of sense getting trendy are super are cheap right now. Obviously, though, the big problem is some guy is going to get knocked out, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Some running back is going to tear his ACL or his Achilles or something, you know, some wide receiver will get hurt. These are just facts of life. And so you're going to have teams that you're, you, you have to juggle, you know, those two things. And I, I know the strategy that you're taking, which I think is fascinating.
1: Yeah. So it's like typical barbell approach. Right. And so I think, cause I think about it in like, what are my edges? Like as it relates to the timing of the draft, it's like, well, I either have like a skill edge over these people. I have like I, I kind of call it like an uncertainty edge, which is like what you talked about, like things that we don't necessarily know right now, whether I believe them to be true or whether just by sheer kind of luck of uncertainty of the of the off season, there, there's going to be guys who rise and guys and guys who fall, you know, later in the market. And then, um, you know, so anyway, this, this combination of all of these, these different things that there's a risk reward to, to all of them. And so right now, you know, and I started like in, in May, in May, I don't even remember when my first draft was, but I started drafting in, in May and you get this chance in May through Right, like you said, whether it be guys ADPs change because we learn more or just the market starts, to, right? Evan Silva starts pumping some guy and yep. was going in the 14th and now he's going in the ninth. Like there's all these dynamics of why guys values change. And then like the biggest one for the clear jump is what you said, guys are just going to get hurt. You know, so your backup running back you took in the 17th round ends up being the starter. You have massive value, but same thing for other positions. So like you have this chance to unlock this like super team right now right? But it's at the expense of kind of those other variables. I don't have as much of a skill edge, right? These are sharper drafters, especially on underdog. These are sharper drafters right now. So like, I'm not, not getting a lot of screaming values because these guys are good. They know, they know what they're doing and they know how to construct teams, but you know, so then I'm also risking, I could be the guy that gets hit by the injury, right? It's right. Exactly. It's, it's Cam Akers that goes down. It's Travis Kelsey that goes down or whatever. And my teams that have them are just dust, but the payoff for assembling this super team that I, you know, just all those factors come together. Like, cause you, that's the other thing people think about. Like, oh, you know, they talk about win rates all the time. And yes, you have to win your twelve-team league. And the and win advance. rates
0: matter so much more if you are a twelve-man league grinder versus trying to win the million dollars. Like, they're like they they correlate and the win rate discussion stuff matters. I think, but it it really all it like everything in gambling it depends on your goals. And if your goal is to grind out you know, 20% ROI across 212 man leagues, like you're going to be drafting in a much different way than if you're trying to bank one of the big tournaments.
1: Right. And I certainly understand like what the premise is that people are saying, like, I just want to get my teams through it. You know, I want to get shots on goal, right? Just give me a bunch of, give me as many of those ping pong balls in the lottery machine and and then I'll, I'll just take my chances. And like, I understand that, but I think a lot of the times people Take that too too far, and it's like, I, dude, I don't care. I, I draft 150 teams on underdog. I don't care if I get one through. If that one wins the millie, wins right? the whole my thing. Win rate, my, I have the worst win rate of anybody. But if I win the whole thing, that's all that matters. So I'm trying to find the ways through this like timing of drafts to where I can get teams that have the best chance at being that 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 team, right? And so you you could unlock a team that's like literally superstars. Right. Like you said, you draft Tony Pollard and and I draft Samaj P. Ryan on a team. Plus, I have Travis Kelsey, whatever. And like the the starting running backs get hurt. And the next thing you know, I have like just an absolute all-star squad that like no one can match the upside of that team. You still have to get lucky, right? To get there, but no one can match the upside of that team. So I'm trying to do that now, knowing I'm just gonna I'm gonna have stone dead teams, absolutely, totally dead teams. Then there's this. We're we're pretty much about to reach that, right? Camp starts, mini camps, and 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 stuff starts. Right. Information starts coming in. We're already getting it. You mentioned like the Jets, right? Mims is running with the twos. Keelan Cole's starting. You know, running running with the ones. Yeah. Chris Herndon, goddamn Chris Herndon. Like I, I might have already burned a bunch of teams with with seventeenth round Chris Herndon again for the for the third year in a row, but like he's not running with the ones. You know, and we we start to get more information, so the field gets the field starts to get a little bit, you know, more knowledgeable about actually where the ADP of these guys should be. But it's still only the sharp drafters, right? So now I'm not getting any edge. I have no uncertainty edge. I have no like less of the upside of of you know guys getting hurt or guys changing in value, and I get no skill edge. So there's like this middle ground where I think you're like you know, expected value is just the lowest. And so I'm trying to do like, basically no drafts during, during that time. And then I'm coming back, you know, I'm saving, you know, half my bullets, 75 drafts or so for like, as close to the end of the season as I can. So I'm going to be like an insufferable prick, probably on my phone for like the final two weeks of draft season, just like heads down, you know, grinding out these, these drafts, but it's because of you, again, you mentioned it earlier, like, the, the sick, sick fish that are – that I mean, these guys are bad. If it's anything like last year, the people coming into these drafts, you know, a week before the season starts, they have no idea what they're doing. Like, if I think that the edge is strong even right now, against right. the people who are smart, the people who have no idea what they're doing coming into these drafts are so, so, so bad. And so your skill edge is just absolutely massive at that point. And so you're giving up a little bit of this. Like, there's no way you're going to build a super team at that point, right? Because 80, the market's – Market's the ADP just efficient.
0: has gotten too
1: efficient. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the market's efficient, and like every, even the, even these fish know kind of you know who's in what role on what team. But like your skill edge over those people, you know, those are the people drafting four quarterbacks and three tight ends on a team, right? Those are the people, you know, taking six running backs to start their draft, and they're just like stone dead. So, you know, there's this combination between those two things that I'm taking both ends of that barbell and trying to divvy up all my teams between those two kind of segments of time. Right.
0: All right. Well, I, uh, I think that was a, a pretty good best ball primer. I mean, I think first off, if you listen to this and you're not just like immediately registering for drafts, you're definitely a, a, a stronger, uh, a stronger willed person than I am. But yeah, I mean, I think that was, I think that was good. I think if, you know, if you want to fire in 50 drafts on underdog or whatever, I mean, I, I think that was a good uh, preparation. What do you guys have going on over at RG if people want to explore a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I'm really diving in. I've started uh, a new kind of series. It's not even just like uh, videos or podcasts, but we're calling it Spike Week, which is pretty much just all my NFL best ball thoughts. So just like a series of videos and articles every week, diving into a lot of the stuff that you know some I've already gone through that we talked about here, especially like the timing of drafts and, and just kind of everything I think almost like, uh, me vomiting my thoughts out onto, onto a video or, or whatever. Right. There's so much to cover in, in terms of strategy or like you said, just like picks and favorite players and blah, blah, blah. There's so much, um, that I'm just trying to crank out, you know, almost daily different stuff, uh, over at Roto grinder. So I'm slowly moving out of like some of the MLB and NBA streets into really grinding, grinding NFL and I I like to think it's a lot more strategic type stuff like what we talked about today right we talked about some players that we like and and some players maybe that were higher on or whatever but it's a lot more of like how do you strategically from a macro perspective get a get an edge over your opponents and that's really where my focus is and so that's really what most of the content over at Ed Grinders will be about
0: yeah all right well uh I think that will Wrap us up here. Uh, everyone, of course, we have uh, projections and rankings for this stuff over on sportsgrid.com. And then, you know, we'll have I, – I will continue to grind out all of these uh, best ball shows with Karane and everyone over on the Sports Grid feed. And uh, we'll be back next week.
1: Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right?
0: In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen posed that question to guests like Paul Ryan.